0: Amen, and thank you. (laughs) It's the good news of the gospel. The strife is o'er. It took strife and purpose and direction, but Jesus is victorious. Let me read to you uh, one of the earliest uh, pictures of this day from John 20, early in the morning. It reads this in John 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. I want to tell you, Easter begins with sadness and then with confusion as an announcement that's greater than you could ever believe emerges as true let's stand and sing about that announcement christ the lord is risen today Amen. Have a seat if you would, please. Boy, there's some things that are just worth singing with all your heart and might. And the good news of the risen Christ is that that's what we celebrate this day. The seminal, pivotal, fulcrum event of all of history. Uh, It's my joy to welcome you. I'm thankful that we're able to gather here on site um, and worship the Lord. I'm thankful, too, for those who worship online, that you let us from here, across the Internet join you. And I just began to think of some of those people Helene, Jim, Bill at Mary Freebed, Glenn, Herb and Jane, Marion, Jake, Rachel and Ellie. We get to be part of their worship, uh, where they are and in the midst of their need. Uh, So here we are this morning after the service, I encourage you to linger, say hello to some folks. We'll have refreshments and a fellowship time. I'm not going to do my usual follow-up class where we interact with questions. It's been a week and I'm going to start unwinding. (laughs) The Lord is good. Um, Thursday, we have a slide for this. We'll have a gathering for prayer with uh, Movement Western Michigan. Uh, information on that has gone out. It's, you know, Corey Plockmeyer who preaches here from time to time. This is Corey's ministry that brings together churches and folks, and we'll be praying. Uh, The other thing I want to highlight is that if you're with us for a first time, it would be very helpful if you could text Uh, the word connect to this number, you'll get a reply that gives you a link and you can fill out a form that lets us add your email address. And then each week on Thursday nights, typically, it was Wednesday this week, but typically you'll get an informational email with links and connections for things that are going on. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not take a moment and just say, thank you. Um, It's been a week. We had uh, Monday, we started recording our Fear and Trembling podcast, a, a family memorial service, a special Maundy Thursday service, our Good Friday prayer vigil for Ukraine, and here we are. I want you to know, though, that I stand before you as just one sliver of a much bigger team. That's how all these things go on. It's not so much about me as it is about what God is doing in the body. Our preaching team, as Darwin and JB and Aaron and I get together. Our facilities team. This was a pretty productive month for them, I would say, this week. Um, Gary and uh, Norlin, as they helped keep things available for each next activity. Admin with Christine and Kendra. Uh, Care helping me keep up, as I was busy, I'm thankful to Dee. And every time we would change something, Jane was right there with music. So. It's amazing how it all just comes together, and I'm very, very thankful for that, that I get to work with uh, God's people in what He's doing. There's more volunteers than I can name, but I do want to say thanks so much. We're singing historic hymns today as we typically do because it connects us to the faith and to the church that's bigger than just us in this moment. Another way we do that is to touch the truths of our faith as they were recorded and expressed in the Heidelberg Catechism. So I've got two questions today with two answers from the Heidelberg Catechism related to the resurrection. Let us uh, meditate even as we confess these as our faith. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Next question, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh will be raised by the power of Christ, reunited with my soul, and made like Christ's glorious body. We're thankful for the hope of the gospel in terms of living day to day, and we'll talk more about that, but let's stand if you're able, and we'll sing together, Lo in the gray he lay. Have a seat, if you would. As our musicians find a way to have a seat, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And after the prayer, I'm warning parents here, I'll ask if you've got uh, kids that would like to be a part of the children's story. And John, let me... Tell you what, Gary, can we adjust to the camera over here? (laughs) After the prayer. Um... We're learning to adjust on the fly, life is good. Um, But for now I wanna pray and then later we will, um, (laughs) we will gather with the kids' story, shall we do that? Let's turn to the Father and pray. Oh Lord our God and Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of his resurrection, we enter the place of prayer without fear because by your grace, you have invited us to become your deeply loved, fully adopted children. So this day, we give you thanks and praise. We bring to you our hearts in prayer, first of all, for Heart Ministries. Thank you for the ministry that goes on under this particular uh, organizational umbrella, Neighbors Plus, missionaries, uh, each of our worshiping communities. We pray for Watershed and for Pastor Aaron, and particularly as they have a new worship leader, Drew Timmer. Bless that ministry through them as you continue to anoint. We pray for Pastor JB at Fusion and the worship that will go on there. And later on today, we pray for Pastor Florencio and Mission that will worship you in Spanish right here in this place. Thank you that you've called us to be a part of celebration. And so we give you our lives and we pray for one another. I'm going to ask you, I'll give you a moment to pray for those who are sick or recovering just in the silent sanctuary of your heart. Lift names of people and circumstances more than I could know or enumerate. Father, we have prayed week by week as well for those who are grieving and it seemed important this day of resurrection to just name those who are along the journey of grief. We pray for the Watkin, the DeVries family, the Gort, Plegemars, Baus, Evenhaus, Andrey, Niehoff, letting Lettinga. Father, in this broken world, we yet face the last enemy of death. We grieve and yet not as those without a hope. And so this day we pray the hope of the resurrection would shine powerfully on each of these families as they extend and touch many lives. Help us to uh, weep with those who weep, even as we rejoice with those who rejoice. Bind us together as your people. We pray each week, Father, for uh, those in authority over us in our regular cycle. This is when we pray for federal government. So we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for our Michigan senators, Debbie Stabenow and uh, Gary Peters, representatives from this area, Bill Heisinger, Peter Meyer, Fred Upton, and for the Supreme Court as they uh, render decisions. We pray, Father, that you would establish the grace of rule of law, and so it is. I would also extend our prayer to West Michigan and to Grand Rapids in light of the tragedy these past weeks. The term I've been praying personally has been justice for all under equal rule of law. We pray for a peace with justice that you'd comfort where there's loss and that you would establish the rule of law for all your people in your land. Father, we pray for our missionaries and we pray for the world. We pray for those who go out near and far to share your gospel, often with uh, ministries in education or medicine or church planting or business translation community develop in agriculture as they share life incarnationally with a, a nation, with a people group. And in the bridges of those relationships share the good news of Jesus. We pray for the persecuted church as we pray for Pastor Wang Yi in prison in China. We pray for our Muslim neighbors and those Muslims all across the world in this, their month of Ramadan. May they in their pursuit of Allah, Meet Jesus and come to faith. Finally, we would pray for a shalom, that is peace and wholeness in Ukraine, a peace with justice. Enable and guard your people. Turn back the attackers and bring uh, light and life to the land. Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ. And as we respond to him in faith, continue to build in us the words of prayer, that we might be a people of prayer. Hear our prayer together as we use the words Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Before we turn to the scripture and then uh, the sermon, I would wanted to have a moment with any kids, grade three and below. I hadn't thought about filling that front pew up with musicians. Let me tell you what I'm gonna try and do. Are we good to look at me here? Yeah, let's put the kids down here. Any kids, I will let you determine if you're a kid or not, any age. Um, why don't you come on down here and join me on the front row? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll sneak forward. Anybody going to join me? Oh, come on. Is that Luke and Michael? Y'all are my buds. Come on down. Because what I want to do is give you a close-up look at a book. Yeah, just have a seat right here. Oh. Wonderful, here they come. They're, everybody's looking for a first one. What brave people. You know, I even brushed my teeth this morning. They said, could have fooled me, Pastor. (laughs) I'm so glad to see y'all. During COVID, we had to kind of step back from some things. But I'm anxious to continue our ministry to uh, you folks in a particular way. And it's just great to see you and have you here. Um, I said earlier, and I'll say it again, the first Easter morning, everybody woke up sad. Sad. That's because somebody that they really loved had died was what they knew. And I was really struck this week that sometimes we hit really sad moments in life. And as much as we as parents would want to protect you, We can't always do that. So I want to instead prepare you. There are sad times and sad moments. And one of the most helpful books, I read this from time to time, it's called The Moon is Always Round. Some of you have seen this and heard it. It was just good for me to hear it again. So what I'm going to do is open the book so you get a good look at it. And I'll go page by page and we'll hear uh, Mr. Gibson who wrote this. This is a real story about he and his son. Uh, he'll read it, and you'll hear something about his voice. He's not from Georgia. So let's follow the book.
1: "Is Round by Jonathan Gibson. You see that? Yeah. When I look up on a sunny day, the sky is blue and bright, and jet planes paint white lines on its canvas. When I look up on a stormy day, The sky is grey and dull, and clouds pour rain and flash and boom with lightning and thunder. When I look up on a summer's evening, the sky is red and orange and purply-pink, and the sun looks like it's falling from the sky on fire. When I look up on a clear night, the sky is dark, and the stars twinkle and sparkle like diamonds. But the moon isn't always round dad said the moon is always round even when you can't see all of it okay. when dad told me that i was getting a little sister the moon looked like a banana but dad said the moon is always round right when the crib was put together the moon looked like a slice of apple but dad said The moon is always round. When mummy's tummy began to look like a watermelon, the moon looked like a shriveled orange. But dad said, the moon is always round. Even when I was told that my little sister wasn't coming to live with us after all the waiting, dad said, the moon is always round. When my parents left in the middle of the night for the hospital, and the next morning I went off to preschool, I thought, will the moon be round tonight? Dad said, the moon is always round. When I waited at the hospital to meet my little sister, and we left without her, I asked, why, Daddy? And he replied, I don't know why, but the moon is always round. When we got home from the hospital, I looked for the moon before bed. It was a half moon. But Dad said, the moon is always round. And when it was still just the three of us, and we went to the church to say goodbye, my dad asked me, what shape is the moon? I said, the moon is always round. And Dad said, what does that mean? I said God is always good for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations Psalm 100 verse 5 the moon is always round
0: the dad and his son who wrote this book. But the good news is that no matter whether we face happy times or sad times, God is good. If we try to look to the situations we find ourselves in life, sometimes it looks good, sometimes it looks bad. But when our hearts are settled in the goodness of God, then we face even our sad times with uh, the goodness of God and his hope. So uh, let me pray for you, and then I'll send you back, and we'll turn to the sermon. Father, we thank you that you are at work even when we face sadness or hurt or confusion, that even when we experience joy and see beauty, that you are good and that you are working your purposes to bring us to that day when... Everything sad will become untrue. We thank you for the promises you've given us. Hang on to us when we can't hang on to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. I really appreciate you coming up. I was afraid I might be left alone. Why don't you head back to your folks? Yeah, if I was alone up here, that would be tough. I began the service... Looking at the first picture we have from the scripture of the earliest part of the day, and I'm going to end with the latest part of the day. The scripture is from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. I'll read. Now, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost." And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe this because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank You uh, for Your Word. Even when uh, we find ourselves in a sad state of heart, Even when our minds are confused by what we see, we thank you that you are at work in ways beyond our ability to even ask or imagine. Thank you that your presence is our hope and our comfort. Guide us in that. Thank you that that night late when you were um, making yourself known to those disciples, that you offered your presence in the Word and in spirit. And those have been the promises to your people through the centuries. Thank you that out of that, eyewitnesses recorded the moment that has been preserved in amazing ways across centuries, that now we can open it and be encouraged by your promise and your truth. Give us a great hope this day. We thank you for your kindness. Uh, Be our comfort and joy, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people sit together, amen. Amen. It occurs to me that to understand the resurrection of Jesus, we first have to understand his death. And I don't have a lot of time to really dig into that, but I want to say very simply that Jesus did not die. This is the truth of the cross. He did not die because of corrupt human power. He did not die because God was just angry and unable to rescue him. If you picture a God on a throne who's a little bit peeved and waiting to make something happen, you've missed who God is. Jesus died. It's much more like a hero running into a burning building that was collapsing to rescue people who could not rescue themselves. I've been really gripped to watch the news and to see dads, Ukrainian dads, drop their wife and children off in Poland and then turn back. It's that kind of loving rescue at the risk of life that motivated Jesus. That is why he died. Get that settled first. Jesus died because he loved us, his broken creatures. And so at risk of his life, at the sacrifice of his life, he would go and do what we never could do for ourselves. That's what's at stake if there is no death of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. It's not God's anger that's the issue. It's God's love. It's the willingness of God the Son to offer his life for ours motivated by love. It's amazing to me that from the very first Resurrection Sunday, there was an effort to deny the death of Jesus. The first one happened almost as soon as the resurrection itself. Um, the, let me read to you from Matthew twenty-eight twelve through 15. When the chief priests had met with the elders, they devised a plan and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say to his disciples, you are to say, I'm sorry." His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. So the first story that tried to deny the resurrection said that the disciples stole the body. And it goes on to say that it's circulated ever since. There was a desire to deny the death of Jesus. Another story that developed fairly quickly, and you can see it across history, is that, oh, it was a mistaken identity. Someone else got crucified, not Jesus. So when they saw him alive, it was because someone else had been crucified. Are you aware that our Muslim neighbors are taught in the Quran that he did not die? I'll read to you from Surah 4, 157 in the Quran. They killed him not, nor crucified him but so it was made to appear to them. So there's the teaching that Jesus was not crucified. See, either he was or he wasn't. That's why this is a really important thing to consider. It's fascinating. It had taken a little different twist during my college days. The idea that the death of Jesus was not a historical event and neither was the resurrection. It was a wonderful thing to believe, and that belief was motivating, I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul and the early church would have gone, huh? They had seen Jesus die. And so, when he rose, their first response was confusion in the midst of sadness, If you try to do away with the death, then there's nothing to be sad or confused about. But because Jesus was really God in the flesh, because he really died, then Easter Sunday, in the midst of their sadness, there comes confusion. You see, if, if we let ourselves deny the death of Jesus, it makes the resurrection meaningless. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. That if Jesus didn't die and wasn't raised, then our faith is most to be pitied. But because Jesus was who he was, God in the flesh, because he died with a love that would enter the burning house to rescue those who could not rescue themselves. His resurrection means we too are rescued. In this, this way, if the day started in sadness, it ends in startled confusion. And I really want to uh, help us wrestle with that and see that a little today. It begins from the very beginning, Mary and the women at the tomb in the early morning. They come looking and he's not there. What? You'd think after three years, they would have said, oh, this is what we expected. Notice, they go, huh? They were confused. Peter and John run to the tomb after hearing the women to check it out for themselves. They see it empty. What can this mean? The disciples on the road to Emmaus, a little earlier in this chapter of Luke, they're walking and they actually talk with Jesus and they don't recognize him until the breaking of the bread. It's amazing. They're confused. The reports from that first day are not triumphant. They're confused, and for good reason. Jesus appears to his disciples. He makes himself known, but he appears to them, and they're slow to recognize it. It seems that even in his appearance, he is different. The record we have, he seems to disappear at times, show up at times. He is seen by 500 when they are there. He joins them on the shore to eat at other times. But his coming and his going, mysterious and, and hard to know, even into locked rooms. How does that happen? Not sure I could tell you. He seems different. But amazingly, he's also similar. When their minds are open, they recognize Jesus as Jesus. He has a body. Listen to Luke 24. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Hmm. Raised to new life, flesh and bones, not a ghost. That much we can know and see from that. Friends, I wanna tell you, this is why these people would have not thought that the resurrection was just a belief or an idea. Jesus himself says, check the evidence. Look at my hands, look at my feet. The other thing, and this was a favorite passage for my Cajun church when I was in South Louisiana, he eats. Luke 24 41. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Well, it's good to know that our resurrected bodies will still enjoy a good meal. What is this body? It's different, but it's similar. What are we to make of this? Well, friends, the thing I want to say, and I'll come back to it a couple of times, but I want to begin to let it settle in. We can face God in the midst of our sadness. We can face God when we're feeling confused and he will still be at work to his glory and to our benefit. We're not limited by my understanding or by my emotions because of who God is. Look at the two things that Jesus does. In the presence of the resurrected Jesus, this source of confusion is also the answer to it. He points out that he deals with this confusion two different ways. The first is he points them to the scripture. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. I want to tell you something. Do you think this was the first time that those disciples had heard the scriptures? No. No. But it took a work of Jesus for them to begin to see that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible that they had, was not about law, was not about history or poetry. It used all those forms, yes, but everything that was written, Genesis to Malachi for them, everything was, that was written pointed to Jesus and his gospel. We've tried to unpack that for you in the past several weeks through our series, Enough, where we went through the book of Exodus, essentially, the calling of Moses, the deliverance from slavery to the standing at the edge of the promised land. And we looked at how each of those events, those moments in Israel's history, had a a substance of themselves, but they also pointed to the one who would be enough, the true and perfect, the final, the fulfillment. Jesus had to help them see that everything they'd grow, grown up hearing in church was not about them and what they should do. It was about God and what He was doing. Friends, it may be surprising to you, but you can read and study the Bible and never get what it is that Jesus gave to His disciples in that room. Let that ring. You can spend a lifetime in church buildings reading and studying the Bible. You can do your daily devotions and read the text and never step across into what Jesus is pointing to here. Good news, he's inviting you to more. You see, the Pharisees are a good example of people who were grounded in the Word. You ever heard that term? Oh, they knew the Bible. They just didn't know the point of everything in the Bible, which is Jesus and his gospel. They thought it was about legal directives for behavior that earned standing with God. Know anybody who sees the Bible like that? Oh, yeah. I often meet people who've spent their entire life in church. They've gathered stories and, and factoids. Oh, well, I heard a sermon that said this. I heard a point about that. And I want to suggest to you that if you have a nervous feeling that that's what describes your situation, good news Jesus wants to invite you to a new and life-giving encounter with the Bible. You can read the Bible all you want and still get God wrong unless you realize that it all points and finds its meaning in Jesus and his gospel. Here's a clue. This is how I began to see this going on in my own life. When you read the Bible, have you ever been drawn to an insight that leads you to repentance? Do you read the Bible and gather facts, maybe inspiration to go act differently? Has the Bible ever brought you to a point of repentance? What would you say to me if I asked, as a friend and a pastor and somebody who prays for you, what was the last specific attitude related to a person? I'm trying to get at the heart that your scripture reading called you to repent of. If that question leaves you puzzled, good news, Jesus wants to bring you to a deeper experience of His grace in the Bible. You can read the Bible all you want and still get the gospel wrong, but this is what we learn in this text today, you will never get the gospel right without reading the Bible. But there's a second answer that Jesus offers to them. He opens their mind to the scripture. He also makes a promise to them about power. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Just stay in the city until you've been clothed with dynamite, clothed with power from on high. Friends, Jesus here invites you and me to live beyond our own limits, beyond our own brokenness, beyond our own fears or insecurities, and to live in God's grace. By way of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who bears the fruit of the Spirit over time in our lives. That's the power that changes us. Friends, He is risen. That's the good news. He helps us to see fresh ways in the Scripture. He helps us to experience that indwelling power. Even when He comes to us and finds us sad or confused. We need to see that Jesus and his gospel are what Moses, the prophets and the Psalms have pointed to. When that happens, legalism dies. When you think the Bible is about your behavior, legalism and moralism sneaks its way in. When you see it's about what God has done for you, your inability to rescue yourself, then grace begins to grow a different fruit. We need a power from beyond ourselves to actually deal with ourselves. Jesus answers that need by making it possible for God, the Spirit, to dwell within us and to bear his fruit through us. The key to new life and identity is not trying harder at whatever new thing we think we want or think we want to be. No, instead, it's growing more deeply rooted in the life of one who gave his life so I could be everything he created me to be. See, the journey of faith is about discovery, not self-discovery and self-actualization, but the discovery of God's great intent for my life, the discovery of his fruit at work in me. In a moment, we'll come to the table for communion, a time when Jesus says, I will meet you there. The world will see simple things, bread and cup. But by the promise of my word and by the presence of my spirit, you'll meet and experience me. And then, after that, for a final hymn, we'll sing a hymn called He Lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. You know that one? He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. That hymn, I discovered, thanks to my wife, was written. Sorry, she just started shaking her head and said, You shouldn't. But she helps me. She's key. It was written by a Presbyterian minister named Alfred Ackley, first published in 1933. And as told by the hymnal editor George Sandville, the following incident provided the spark for his inspiration. A young Jewish friend asked him, why should I worship a dead Jew? To which that hymn is the answer, because he is not dead. He is risen. He is not dead. He is risen. And that is the good news. That is what flows from the death and resurrection of Jesus to us. And that is why we come to the table in this moment to receive of all that he has and all that he gave his life to give us. I'm going to ask as uh, we prepare for that, we pray together what I call the Heart of White Gospel Meditation, a prayer that I've written out of my... Uh, own life with the words of the gospel deeply embedded. Let me pray and then we'll turn to this. Father, thank you for your word that in the midst of our confusion and sadness, yet you are at work to comfort, to guide, and to transform us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. And let's pray together with these words that because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead, by the working of His grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great Creator King. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am, right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life values and action Amen and Amen this is the table of the Lord before his crucifixion he gathered his disciples and others in the upper room and he took what had been practiced for thousands of years the Passover and he made the that Passover meal, the first communion, Passover pointed to him and rightly understood is about his death and his coming resurrection. So I'm going to ask that, again, with one voice, we use a statement from the Heidelberg Catechism about the meaning of the Lord's Supper for believers It's from question 80. Let us, again, let it focus our minds using this together the lord's supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of jesus christ which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all it also declares to us that the holy spirit grafts us into christ who is with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the father where he wants us to worship him. Again, this historic faith that brings us to this moment. It was on the night in which he was betrayed, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus took the bread. It would have been the bread of the Passover, just like they'd celebrated for generation upon generation. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, Jesus promises to meet his people here, and he extends an invitation. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. As we come to the table, I want us to understand the invitation that Jesus gives to us. He invites us on his terms. That's what it means to come in an appropriate way. That means we don't come trusting in our own righteousness. We don't come because we are, uh, have done particular things or not done particular things. If you've grown up in the CRC, perhaps you've heard the term fencing the table. Well, fencing the table is meant to make sure we all come through the door, and the door is Jesus himself. So the invitation is to come on his terms. And and I invite you, regardless of where your church membership may be, I've even had people in this moment say, that Jesus I want to follow, come and receive. Now, we also invite families to come and to navigate that as a family. Uh, The Passover meal was done as a family event, and the children were taught step by step, and so we'll let families navigate that. But we'll ask that you come pace yourselves out of the pew, down the center, and then we'll have two folks on either side of me, um, Glenn and Marga, and Joyce and Ron, one will have the bread and give you a piece of bread. The other will have the cu- tray of cups and you take one from there. If you'd prefer to use one of the single packets, you can pick that up there. Move uh, down and head out the back rows. So we'll come down the center, work around and then down the back aisles. Have we got the steps to the dance on that? <laughs> Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and you've called us as one. Thank you that we come now to a feast we do not deserve. We ask that the world might see undeserving people reserving grace, receiving grace, and the world might hear as well the invitation to that same table of grace, for it's the grace that transforms us. Wash us free of any guilt, for what we've done from any shame, for what has resided deep in our hearts, and set us free that your Holy Spirit might bear fruit in us to your glory. For your kindness at this table that we do not deserve, we give you thanks for your hope. Take this, which is very simple, this bread and this cup, and by the promise of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, meet us here as only you can these things we pray in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are um, serving the elements, if you'd come forward. And get what you... Come and receive, says the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you one quick thing. Communion took on a whole new perspective for me when I first sat through what you'd call a a messianic seder with Jewish people, culturally Jewish people, who'd come to faith in Christ. They put on a Passover meal but made that in light of Christ the Messiah. And that's when I realized that we do it with all reverence and thoughtfulness, which is fine, I'm not gonna argue that. But for them, it was more like a Thanksgiving dinner with everybody gathered and telling stories and the kids running around. And So I don't mind a little bit of tumult sometimes. And I'm again thankful to our volunteers. We got everybody served. The Lord is good. Let's uh, sing God sent his son. They called him Jesus. If you're able hear these words of benediction just as the angel spoke to the woman at the first empty tomb that first morning why do you look for the dead among why do you look for the living among the dead he is not here he is risen remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified and on the third day be raised again so remember these words Go now and tell the good news of God's grace. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed.